Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. My co-hosts, the amazing Aaron Adams and I, are recording this on Monday, March 23rd, 2020. On our last show again, the, the March 9th show, I, I went on at length about how Disney Studios had loaded up its release schedule for 2020 with all of these event films, projects that I likened to jumbo jets that were stacked up at uh, Chicago's O'Hare Airport that had to land at some point because there was another jumbo jet right behind it that also had to land at some point in, in the coming year. I had a friend at Disney reach out after that show. Basically said, in essence, he said, I really liked your event films as jumbo jet and I, you know, that analogy. But in this case, with the theaters around the world closing down because of COVID-19, it was kind of a case where all of the runways that Disney traditionally landed its jumbo jet event films on just sort of rolled up and, and went away. And so we couldn't premiere any of these films in their previously carefully selected release dates because most of the theaters in the world were shuttered. You have to remember that as far back as April of 2017, that's when Disney actually locked in a bunch of these release dates for films as far out as November of 2021. Three years ago, Disney snagged spots on its calendar for March 15, 2020. That was onward, and this day, but this Dan Scanlon movie got its release date moved up by uh, just a week to March 6th. Then on April 3rd, uh, this was the date that, again, was selected back in 2017 for a live-action Walt Disney Pictures release. Eventually, this slot would go to uh, the live-action reimagining of Disney's hand-drawn hit from 98, Mulan. Just like what happened with Pixar's Onward, opportunities in the marketplace made Disney decide to move up that release date for this live-action remake of Mulan by a week till March 27th, 2020. And then, of course, May 1st, 2020, that was a release date chosen for then unnamed Marvel Studios production, which became Black Widow. And then June 29th, 2020, uh, was a release date that had been set aside for a second Pixar animation release for 2020, which eventually ended up being Pete Doctor's Soul. So full three years ago, Disney had picked these release dates all the way out to 2021, only to have COVID-19 come in and blow all these plans out of the water. Now, Aaron, when did the theaters in your market shut down? I'm not entirely certain about that, simply just because there hasn't really been anything coming to theaters that I've been overly excited about going to the theater to see. So I've been keeping the theater on my radar lately. All I know right now is if you wanted to film like your own horror movie, this would be a great time to go down down Indianapolis with a, a camera because uh, the streets are empty. It's the only time you're going to be able to get footage like that in the middle of the day. Break your quarantine with a, a quick handheld video cam. Go shoot yourself a zombie <laughs> flick or a, a post-apocalypse <laughs> B-roll. It's so funny you say that because there's a sci-fi film from the late 60s, early 70s called Omega Man with Charlton Heston. And it showed an empty Los Angeles, or it tried to. They they do things like they'd get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and block certain streets. But even when they tried, you could still sometimes see way in the distance a shot where a car came through an intersection or that sort of thing. I mean, and these days, you could get that for free. The day after we recorded, uh, Mar Tuesday, March 10th, 
that's when word came out of Prague that uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier was being shut down due to coronavirus concerns. Okay, so here's one of the quandaries that we find ourselves with our entertainment because Falcon and the Winter Soldier are shut down and, and we're not creating new TV shows or new movies right now. And we don't want to move things over to Netflix or Disney Plus right away because if we do that, when things get better and the movie theaters reopen, if we have released all of our movies online and there's no new movies currently being made, you're actually kind of putting theater businesses out of business for instead of one year, two years, you know, or or something like Uh... that. So... In the instance of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I can kind of see the whole MCU getting pushed back by like six months to a year, just like the whole gambit just gets knocked back now six months at least. But New Mutants, Disney didn't pay any money for that. Fox had already produced that uh, before Disney had acquired them. So that's like a free movie. They could technically move that over to Disney Plus, couldn't they? New Mutants is supposed to be that Venn diagram between a superhero movie and a horror movie. Not necessarily Disney Plus, but possibly Hulu. That decision hasn't been made at this point. In fact, you know, that there's, there's some argument at this point. It's like, well, look, we have Venom 2 coming out in October, but that opens in early October. It's a superhero horror movie. If we want to actually make some money off of this thing, you know, what they're considering is literally just dump New Mutants the weekend before Halloween. That will give Venom 2 three weeks at the box office to sell a significant amount of tickets and do a new series of ads that plays up the horror aspect of New Mutant. And you'll get some money from it. I mean, at, at this point, from a bookkeeping point of view, they've been, it's, they've been carrying this film on the books for two years and now we're going to dump it on Hulu? We're not going to attempt to make any real money off of this? Like, come on, guys. Yeah, but new new subscribers also translates into money just like ticket sales do, uh, except it's a little bit more direct. So uh, instead of paying, you know, $10 at the theater to go see New Mutants, I might be paying $6 for monthly access to uh, Disney+. Plus. And if you're a new member to Disney+, Plus, then you haven't seen Mandalorian yet, probably, and maybe that will keep you around for another month of purchasing, which now, you know, your total to, that you've paid to Disney is about the equivalent to a, a theater ticket. So True. if you get new subscribers in, that all translates into money. Mm-hmm. People right now are trapped in their house, starved mm-hmm. for content, so why not? Take into account that so many people at Disney right now are working from home. When it comes to the decision-making process for a lot of these films or that sort of thing, there's a lag time that's now built in to get the notion of, okay, can everybody make the meeting? And, well, no, I have to feed my kids. Or, You know, I used to think that New Mutants was snake bit. But when you look at what happened with, you know, the folks on Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I mean, remember, this starts shooting in October of last year. And remember how back in January they were supposed to go to Puerto Rico and shoot? And then there was that 6.4 magnitude earthquake on January 7th and then another 5.9 magnitude earthquake on on Saturday, January 11th. And at that point, Falcon and the Winter Soldier was like, you know, I don't know where if we're going to Puerto Rico. They flew over to Prague. It was only supposed to be a week-long shoot. Uh, they got there on Friday, and the idea was they'd get everything they need. They'd be done 
by Thursday, March 12th, and then head back to the States. But by Tuesday of that week, the insurance company that Marvel had hired for this limited series was ringing all sorts of alarm bells. It's like their fear at that point was that Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan, uh, you know, the two leads of the show, if they were exposed to COVID-19, that would then jeopardize Marvel Studios' ability to deliver the six episodes to Disney Plus in time for the previously announced August 20th date. So it's like, okay, that's it. Everybody on planes. And then they flew them all back to Atlanta. And then as this is going on out of Australia, there suddenly comes word from the set of Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings that Destin Daniel Creighton, the gentleman who's directing Marvel's first superhero movie featuring an Asian superhero, he was self-isolating. His wife had just had a baby. Now, mind you, the second unit continues to shoot, but the first unit has to suspend production uh, on Friday, uh, March 13th. And three days later, he gets word back that, you know, he doesn't actually have COVID-19. He's tested negative for it. But by that point, Disney's decided to suspend production of all live action productions that the company has in, in the pipeline at that point. And we're talking the multi-million dollar live action Little Mermaid that Disney's prepping with Alameda and Linwa Miranda. It was one week away from shooting in London when they shut that down. And the one that's really kind of a heartbreaker is Shrunk. This was Josh Gad was going to be playing Wayne Zielinski's son, and they had persuaded Rick Moranis to end his self-imposed retirement. Anything that brings Rick Moranis back into the cinema is uh, just betterment for the entire world, I'd say. Yeah, but this also means Loki and WandaVision shut down, and this has a ripple effect for that. You know, we've talked at length about how supposedly this carefully constructed schedule where movies would be released that would then serve as the stepping off point to limited series, and likewise characters that were introduced in limited series would show up in movies, and shutting down film is sometimes almost as expensive, if not more so, than actual production. I mean, for example, I was told by somebody at the studio that every day that Shang-Chi is not in production in Australia and those sets are standing empty and performers are sitting in hotels, it costs the company anywhere from 300000 to $350,000. Let's also stress here, folks, that it's not just a movie studio. It's also a publishing company. And there's a lot of great comic book stores out there right now that between the sheltering in place and the non-essential businesses being closed and all that that are, are genuinely suffering. I mean, you know, places like the Golden Apple in L.A. or for that matter, the three midtown comics in New York, uh, the one that's downtown, the one at Grand Central and the one at Times Square. They, they're supposedly doing a tenth of the business they normally do. And Marvel Comics is trying to help out. They issued a statement. Uh, again, this is the publishers side of yeah, Marvel Entertainment. As we all encounter new and uncertain challenges in response to COVID-19 and take extraordinary measures to prioritize the safety and well-being of everyone in the industry and beyond, our thoughts are with you, your loved ones, and the community. We have spoken with many of you about the economic impact to your stores from this situation, and we are here to help. To assist and support you and retails around, retailers around the country during this unprecedented time, Marvel will be implementing the following sales support measures effective immediately. 
They cite for Marvel titles scheduled to go on sale between March 18th and April 8th. Marvel is offering extensive deep discounts to give you the flexibility to sell your product in response to customer demand as needed. And uh, you know, ending with the effect of, look, this is uncharted territory for us all, and we're here to support you. Please stay safe and well. Do you have a, a, a good local comic book store there? Yes, Indianapolis is blessed with a cornucopia of fine comic book establishments uh, all around the area. Okay, because it's just, I, I think Marvel Entertainment had to put this program in place right now because on the other side of the COVID-19 situation, I, and that's, I think, the thing that's rattling a lot of folks is we don't honestly know when this is going to end. Depending on which government official you're listening to, it could end in early April, mid-May, the first week of June, or as far off as July and August. That that last bleak prediction actually came from President Trump himself during a White House briefing on, on Monday, March 16th. This was also during the presentation where he stood on stage with 16 people and suggested that all Americans avoid gatherings of 10 or more people. But it's not all bad news, folks. China, just this week, is emerging from its two-month-long lockdown. And as part of that, that country's return to normalcy, some 400 movie theaters in China have literally just reopened. They're doing some stunt film programming. For example, there's a, a 3D version of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone that's being sent out in the Chinese theaters with the hope that Here's something familiar, something you know, you love, but it's in 3D. Well, let's see if that'll get you back in the habit of seeing things on the big screen. On the other hand, Disney and Marvel are proposing uh, you start off with the original Avengers, which, by the way, two hours and 23 minutes long. You then move to Avengers Infinity Wars, which was two hours and 40 minutes long. And you wrap up this cinematic event with a screening of Avengers Endgame, which was three hours and two minutes long. So that's just over eight solid hours of, of film. And don't get me wrong, I enjoyed all three of those movies. I just don't know if my 61-year-old bladder could, could, you know, I could sit there for eight hours of Avengers stuff. Conversely, I mean, you know, there's a lot of folks who've been talking about this whole, you know, stay at home till, you know, the first week of April or thereabouts. They've been using it as, as an excuse to bin shows that they've been meaning to get to. And I don't, I don't know if you've seen the number of pieces out there that have been about the proper way, the exact order to view the Marvel Cinematic Universe films in. Yeah, I've totally got a playlist uh, in my iTunes. It's called Chronological MCU, and uh, I will end up watching that over, you know, I'm not going to binge it in like uh, days or even weeks, but like over the course of a month, I'll watch the entire MCU just for something to do, keep it on the background. And speaking of something else to do, Tessa Thompson was out promoting the season three premiere of Westworld for HBO. And, of course, while she's out doing publicity for that, people were asking her about Thor Love and Thunder. Again, I don't know if she was supposed to do this, but she confirmed that Christian Bale, who I think we talked about on the last show, had been signed to appear in, in this Marvel Cinematic Universe film. Tessa confirmed he is, in fact, playing the villain. She also said that she's gotten a copy 
of the work in progress script from Taika Waititi, who's uh, directing and writing this film. And that when we next see her character, Valkyrie, she is definitely going to be the king of New Asgard. But she was, I guess, in an interview she did with Entertainment Tonight, she was talking about, I've read the script. I can't tell you much. I, you know, she could say that she's been setting a lot of excited text messages back and forth between she and Natalie Portman that, you know, they're going to have a lot of fun in this movie and that there's some familiar faces that we know from other Marvel Cinematic Universe films that will be showing up and some new people coming into the mix. As long as Korg comes back. Hey, man, I'm a rock. <laughs> it's like a circle. <laughs> But a freaky circle. No, that, that it, in fact, I think one night when I was YouTubing, I watched the the battle scene from Endgame, and it was it was so much fun to to watch one of the gateways opened, and here he comes strolling out. But again, before we get to see Love and Thunder, I'm hoping we'll finally get to see Black Widow, and and in a moment, Aaron and I will discuss what comes next with that Kate Sherland film. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Again, on our last episode of, of Marvelous Disney, Aaron and I talked at length about why Disney really didn't want to move back the, the May 1st release date of, of Black Widow. I, I mean, when you think about the time and the effort, not to mention the money that Disney has already put into the promotion of the very first film of Phase 4 of Marvel Cinematic Universe. And we had our first teaser trailer drop on back on December 3rd. Then we got our first really for real Black Widow trailer that dropped back on January 14th. On February 2nd, there was the Black Widow Super Bowl spot. The final trailer for the film dropped on the 9th and only to have the plug it pulled for the release on March 17th. And these are known in the industries as the P&A costs, the prints and advertising costs. And when you're launching an event film like Black Widow, they, they can be astronomical. I mean, Deadline, for example, estimated the promotional expenditures, what Disney spent on launching Avengers Endgame last year, easily eclipsed $200 million, with uh, $100 million of that being spent domestically and then an additional $100 million being spent to market this tentpole overseas. Similarly, in 2018, Disney reportedly spent $150 million worldwide on the marketing in Infinity Wars. 2017, Columbia Pictures spent $140 million on the marketing of Spider-Man Homecoming, but that was a relaunch of a, you know, a film franchise that the, the studio was really, really, really counting on. On the other hand, Marvel and Disney spent $80 million in May of 2017, just on stateside, on the launch of the Guardian sequel, Volume 2. $200 million spent on the marketing of Avengers Endgame, but that film sold $2.7 billion worth of tickets worldwide. So that seems like a decent return on your investment. On the other hand, if we're talking again about Galaxy's Volume, uh, Guardian of the Galaxy Volume 2, that film worldwide made $863 million. 
So 80 million on promotion, all right. So one tenth of your costs at the window or your profits seems relatively affordable given what they spent on Endgame. As long as we're talking about money, and I know that there are listeners who dabble in collecting out there, I'm going to suggest that if you're, you're, you're somebody who speculates in, in collectibles, you might want to consider going out and trying to chase down, well, first of all, the, the Black Widow teaser tr- uh, poster, the one that was released back in December. This is the one that has the giant blood red X with the silhouette of Scarlett Johansson making up the bottom part of the X. That was sent out to theaters on December 3rd of last year. Likewise, there was this set of Black Widow character posters, set of four, showed Scarlett as Natasha, Black Widow, Florence Pugh as Yelena, David Harbour as Alexi, the, uh, the Red Guardian, and finally Rachel Weisz as Melina. Those went out into theaters around the country on February 3rd of this year. And because the teaser poster in this quartet of Black Widow character posters all feature the now-canceled May 1st release date— in the future, these are going to be prized by Marvel fans in much the same way as those Revenge of the Jedi teaser posters for Episode Six are now highly sought by Star Wars fans. Beyond that, in a weird sort of way, it does kind of hurt that we're once again delayed on getting to see Black Widow because this film has been in the works, Aaron, since 2014. It was supposedly Kevin Feige enjoyed the scenes in that movie that showed her, that sort of hinted at Natasha's dark past. And so he hires Nicole Perlman, uh, who had helped to write the original Guardians of the Galaxy script to put together a possible treatment for a Black Widow movie. It's October 2017 when Feige has to call Scarlett Johansson in and basically break it to her what's about to happen to her character in Endgame. But Kevin softens the blow by revealing that they're developing the standalone Black Widow movie. If you, you go all the way back to 2009, where Iron Man has been a hit, so they're prepping Iron Man 2. And this is where they're starting to creep out the Marvel Cinematic Universe idea and and bringing additional characters. So this is where we first get to meet Black Widow. This is when Pepper Potts has been promoted to CEO of Stark Industries. And she, in turn, selects a member of their team there, Natalie Rushman, who, of course, turns out to be Natasha Black Widow, put in place there by by Nick Fury, but it became, okay, so who do we get for this role? And John Favreau had his heart set on Emily Blunt, but she had already signed to do Gulliver's Travels with Jack Black and, and was unavailable. And here's Scarlett Johansson, and she really, really wants the part of Black Widow, but John Favreau is looking at her and it's like, you do adult dramas, you did Lost in Translation, you did Girl with a, a Pearl Earring, and you know, he doesn't see her fitting in a comic book movie, and which is kind of strange because that means that John had forgotten about her performance in the movie version of Daniel Close's acclaimed graphic novel, which again was the collected series of comic books, Ghost World. Also that she was in Frank Miller's The Spirit, which of course was, was based on the, the Will Eisner comic. And in fact, it's the one where she first works with Samuel Jackson. You know, he's uh, the octopus to her silken floss. But anyway, to sort of, to make a point to John Favreau 
Johansson actually goes out and dyes her hair red. It's like, look, this is how much I'm willing to commit to playing Black Widow. And so it's like Favreau's like, okay, I get the message. She signs in March of 2009 to play Black Widow. Her deal includes options for multiple movies, including, you know, potentially the Avengers. And she starts shooting literally a, a week or two later on April 6, 2009. To sort of double back to that multiple movies thing, that got me thinking, Aaron, about who exactly has starred in the most Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. And so I spent the afternoon trying, you know, compiling a list of performers and then going back over their credits. You pointed out one or two that it actually missed. And right off the top of my head, the very first person I thought of was, it has to be Tony Stark. And maybe that's just because he was in Spider-Man Homecoming without actually being in Spider-Man Homecoming. But Stark seemed to be everywhere, and I was wrong. It's an excellent choice. And in fact, he's appeared in, you know, out of the 23 that have been made, 24, if we're counting, you know, a completed, uh, you know, a Black Widow. Robert Downey Jr. has made 10 appearances as Tony Stark Iron Man, possibly 11. It's been suggested that we're going to get to see Tony Stark again in Black Widow, but again, depending on the final cut of the movie. But it turns out the person who has the most appearances, and again, I want to stress here, to date in a Marvel Cinematic Universe film is Samuel L. Jackson. He's made 14 appearances as Nick Fury. Now, mind you, you have to count... His cameo appearances and his uncredited cameos. I mean, for example, he just shows up at the tail end of the original Iron Man. He's the surprise, so to speak. We also have to count as part of this him appearing in Spider-Man Far From Home, which, again, isn't necessarily a Marvel Studios film. It's a Columbia Pictures film, but it's still considered part of the extended Marvel Cinematic Universe and also, uh, you reminded me just before we get started here tonight that we, we forgot about, or I forgot about, his two appearances on ABC's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. show. That that was back in the day when it looked like they were actually living up to their promise of folks from the movies would appear on the TV show. He was in, what, the second episode of season one and then the last episode of, of season one, the beginning of the end. What's interesting is Scarlet has only appeared in nine films if we count Black Widow as uh, Natalie Rushman, Natasha Romanoff, Black Widow. But then Chris Evans has made 11 appearances as Captain America. But again, you have to count all of his cameos and his, uh, his uncredited cameos. <laughs> I, I particularly love the one in Spider-Man Homecoming where they, they're showing his stuff to the, the people in detention. The teacher makes some comment to the effect of, I'm not even sure if this guy at this point is a war criminal, but here, watch this. My favorite Cap cameo is uh, when he's in Thor Dark World. It's Loki yes, yes. Uh, playing Cap. So I guess in essence, it's Chris Evans has to imagine how Tom Hiddleston would play Loki playing Cap, which it's got to be pretty interesting as an actor to be able to have a moment like that oh. where you have to, you know, have that twist to it of someone else portraying you. It's kind of cool. No doubt. No, 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 no. You're absolutely right. Speaking of Chris Hemsworth, he's made eight appearances to date in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Thor, Love and Thunder will be nine. And then we start to move down into, you know, like uh, Sebastian Stan. He's played Bucky Barnes, the Winter Soldier, in seven 
Marvel Cinematic Universe movies, but now we have Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which in theory, if the, the planets align, will get on Disney Plus in August of this year. And then we have uh, Don Cheadle, who's made eight appearances as Rhodey War Machine. But that's not counting, of course, a Terrence Howard, who who made the initial appearance as Rhodey in the very first Iron Man film back in 2008. And All right, hold up now. Are we doing by actor or by character? Because there's a difference in the numbers then. If we're talking character, yes, Rhodey has appeared eight times. If we're talking actor, John Cheadle has appeared seven and Terrence Howard has appeared the once. But I wanted your input on that. What What is your thinking here? No, you, you entirely have to go by character, not by actor, because that way you then include the Incredible Hulk as part of the MCU, which is a, a necessary thing. And uh, yeah, it, it's got to be by by character. But can you bring me to a good, the other reason why I didn't necessarily include the Hulk? Because do we then go all the way back to that Hulk movie in 2001? No, you don't, because that's not technically part of the MCU at all. Incredible Hulk is because they have the uh, Stark vehicles with the Stark weaponry that attack the Hulk in that one scene. And then also, afterwards, when you get to Captain America, they actually do a callback to the Incredible Hulk by using the same uh, super soldier serum. I don't know if it was like a syringe or something like that. But yeah, they, they call back to it. Uh, after the fact. So, yeah, it's part of the MCU. Okay. Now, I get that. Okay. And as long as I'm throwing you problems, let's discuss, you know, John Favreau is Happy Hogan. Okay. So he's appeared six times in Marvel Cinematic Universe movies, but technically it's a seven times if you count that he has a deleted scene. In Infinity Wars, is this remember that scene in the park where Pepper and Tony are sort of talking around getting engaged or, or that sort of thing? Yeah. Okay. There's a moment where Happy actually rolls up in a golf cart and basically he starts yelling at both Stark and, and Potts because I'm the one who has to deal with with the paparazzi. I'm the one who has to, you know, I'm the one who has to court, go to court now because... You know, I rammed into a truck, you know, with TMZ. And you have to stop doing this. And and then the scene ends because he sees a guy in a bush nearby with a giant camera lens. And it's like, hey, stop taking that picture. But it's not in the finished film, but it is. It's an it's a deleted scene, an extra feature. All right. Well, simply extra features do not count as uh, appearing in the MCU. If there were extended editions that gave you an alternate version that might qualify but right now, as it sits, uh, no, you, you can't include special features as uh, appearances. All right. Okay. Aaron has spoken, and we will take this ruling from the Judge Adams. So, uh, as you can see, we, we tried, after all of that get somewhat bleak, grim news at the front half of the show, we tried to end this happy. But just know this, going forward, Aaron and I will, will be here to keep you informed, hopefully entertained, or at the very least, distracted. And by the way, if you need some other distractions, we have some other host shows here at the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. We've got uh, Disney Dish with Len Testa uh, about the Disney parks. And I won't lie to you, it's a little challenging putting uh, that show these days, too. Likewise, we have fine-tuning with Drew Taylor and looking at Lucasfilm uh, with Dan Z 
We also have I Want That with Michelle Valladolid. And finally, Universal Joint with Dustin Fuse. If you get head over to iTunes and uh, rate and recommend this podcast, we'd really, really appreciate that. And if you really, really like what we do here, if you can head over to Bandcamp and subscribe. Thanks for listening, and Aaron and I will be back soon.